Although many of us strive to be the best dad we can be, many physicians struggle with finding balance between their life at home and their life at work. This is the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast, the show where we discuss topics involving our minds, bodies, beliefs, relationships at home, and upping our game with our business practices and financial knowledge to better improve our role as dad in the lives of those around us. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, physician, husband, father to two boys, and self-proclaimed imperfect dad. Join me as I learn to raise my own imperfections within all these topics. Now, let's get to today's discussion. Hello and welcome to the Imperfect Dad MD podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, and in today's show, you're stuck with me. Sorry, no interviews today. I hope that's all right. But I really wanted to talk about a topic I actually wrote a blog post on in the past, and that's on something called epigenetics. So this directly is involved with one of the six Bs, our body, and how we take care of it as dads. But I really want to look at this epigenetic topic because it's such an interesting topic, I feel like, to look at and discuss and think about because so much we look at our bodies and and our health and kind of where we're at right now and maybe how our kids look at us in terms of um, how we work out, how we eat, and how does that influence them for a healthy lifestyle, which it absolutely does. You know, a lot of the things we teach our kids in life is based on um, how they mimic us in our lifestyle and our choices and how we talk about being healthy, right? But epigenetics is such an interesting topic because it discusses how your health specifically influences your kid's health even before they're born. And we're going to talk about that very interesting thing. But before we get into it, I just want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you haven't done that yet. And if you have a friend out there, a colleague who's a physician dad, who's looking for just help, some guidance, just a little bit of entertainment, whatever it might be, send them my way. I want to hear, I want, you know, to reach as many dads and physician dads as possible out there um, just to get this message out there. Because, you know, I, I recognize that we as dads don't always do a great job at talking about how we're doing from a parenting standpoint, nor do we really always want to kind of look at where we're failing at with it. And, um, you know, I really want to help. So if you got a friend out there, a colleague who you think is going to get some benefit out of these podcasts, definitely share this podcast with. So let's talk about epigenetics first. Now, a lot of you out there listening may be a physician, you may not be, but I know for me, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion about epigenetics in medical school or even residency. And it's still, you know, it's still kind of a, a, a not discussed topic as much, I guess you say, unless you're really in that field. I actually got first introduced epigenetics thanks to my dad. So my dad was an OBGYN. He did high risk and reproductive endocrinology. And he used to practice at West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia, where I'm from. And he gave a grand rounds about epigenetics. And and the purpose for that was that, you know, when you look at childhood obesity rates in the United States, there is so much discussion about that. And so much of it has to do with diet, exercise, all those types of things, junk food, sodas, whatever. And, and that, those are all super important topics. And I think it's important that we talk about it. But his reason for discussing it was saying, hey, maybe we as OBGYNs have a greater influence on the childhood obesity rates. And not because you know, you're doing anything in particular for the kid, but you, you're supposed to be helping the parents, right? So the parents are either getting ready to become pregnant, maybe they're going through some in vitro fertilization or something like that. Um, you're talking about family planning or mom's pregnant and you're talking about where you go from there. And when you look at the topic of epigenetics, there is a lot of evidence out there that shows that the mom's health and the dad's health in terms of eating healthy, exercise, 
BMI, all those kind of topics have an influence on epigenetics, which then directly affects how our offspring's body handles things like obesity and exercise and famine or food abundance and those kind of things. And it actually influences how they grow later on, which is a super interesting topic. And so he basically was saying how OBGYNs should be the frontline defense for childhood obesity. And, um, you know, you don't think about it that way, but when you look at the topic of epigenetics, it kind of makes sense. And so he was the first one to introduce this to me. And um, I wrote a blog post on it a while ago back on the blog, and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes so you can look through it. And so I want to talk about epigenetics. What is it? How does it affect our kids? What can we do to improve that? Now, I'm really going to focus on the dad side of this when it comes to like how our health affects our kids. There's a big topic on it in terms of moms too. I might touch on that a little bit in this podcast, but if you want to read more about the mom side or hear more about it, go to the blog post. Again, that's going to be in the show links, and that's going to talk more about that, that mom side with it. So when you look at the topic of epigenetics, epigenetics is not the changing of our DNA. It's the manipulation of our DNA to express certain genes or proteins or enzymes um, so that your body can function in various ways. Now, this is done by three kind of major scenarios. There's DNA methylation, there's histone modification, and non-coding RNA. And if you don't remember what anything any of that is, that's totally fine because I didn't either for a while. Because let's be honest, in med school, we may have talked about it. There might have been a test on it, but then no one ever seems to talk about it anymore. Um, so when you look at these three types of um, epigenetic kind of modification of our DNA in terms of expression, again, not modifying or changing your DNA, but just changing what's on and what's turned off, you look at the different types um Methylation, so DNA methylation is one of the main mechanisms that can really affect um, our kids in long term because DNA methylation has been shown to uh, be a lot more stable when cells replicate. And so this increases the chance that any DNA methylation that happens initially will continue to occur when cells are replicating and that gets passed on to our kids, especially for us guys. You think about your sperm. It is replicating a lot, and there are there's evidence showing how when you have replication and changes within the sperm, that can last and then affect your kids once you impregnate mom. So just an FYI there, something to think about. So when I got the information together for the blog post, and then also what I'm using for this discussion today, I got it from, one, my dad's talk, because he had already compiled a ton of information from it, but I also wanted to make sure all the data was correct and make sure I had the information right. So I utilized, there was a 170-page document that you can find online. It's titled, Examining a Developmental Approach to Childhood Obesity, the Fetal and Early Childhood Years, and it's a workshop summary. And this was led, the lead author on this is Leslie A. Prey, and so you can search for that. She was part of the Food and Nutrition Board at the Institute of Medicine. And so there's a big 170 page presentation on all this with a lot of information in it. So I scoured through that to find what I was looking for. Um, so if you're very interested in this topic after listening, you can probably go search for that. And so when you look at epigenetics and you look at the studies and how it affects, how our health affects our kids, we always first use studies that use mice because mice share surprisingly similar DNA qualities with us as humans. Um, they're easy to uh, clone or replicate. And so you can kind of see how all of this affects um, their offspring very easily because of their lifespans and how many offspring they have. And so one of the more common studies or the popular study that people will refer to when they refer to epigenetics in mice is what's called the agouti mouse. So, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's A-G-O-U-T-I. 
So you can search for that. And if you search for it, you're going to see a picture. There's two mice next to each other. One is a fat mouse with light colored hair, and one is a thin mouse with brown colored hair. And the interesting thing with these mice is that they are genetically identical, but they look completely different. And that's such an interesting thing because, you know, they share the exact same DNA, but somewhere in the process of them being created, because let's be honest, I mean, the mice are being cloned and, and those kind of things for these studies. But somewhere in that process of using that same DNA, something happened that turned on certain genes or turned off certain genes to lead to these mice having a different physical physique in terms of size, but also the color of their fur, which is super interesting. And so when we dive into that study, looking at the agouti mouse, what they found was there was a gene locus called the AVY locus, or AVY standing for agouti viable yellow locus. And what they found there was that the darker, thinner mouse had more methylation at this gene compared to the yellow, heavier mouse. So more methylation here meant skinnier, darker fur, which is interesting. When you look at human studies, and I'm going to talk about this here in a little bit, but usually more methylation is bad for humans in terms of that. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how those two play a role in that, but it's kind of a, a reverse pattern for that specific gene locus. Now it's possible there's other gene locuses that influence that and maybe less methylation makes them thinner or healthier or something along those lines. But I thought that was a very interesting study. Now, when you look at population studies involving people, so we're going to move from mice to people for a second here, there was a study looking at obesity rates, um, really how they were directly related to famines during World War II. So during 1944 and 1945, food supplies were being blocked by the Nazi army into Dutch territory. Um, well, sieges and, and war and all that was going on. And so children born during this time were small for gestational age. And that's because this was due to poor nutrition while in utero. So however, though, once the famine was done, once the blockade was over and food was brought into these regions that initially didn't have food and these kids were subjected initially to, to low calories and low nutrition in utero, that increase in food intake led to these kids having a greater risk of for obesity, cardiovascular disease, and type 2 diabetes when compared to children born shortly after them within the same region. So when you're comparing these populations, you have these kids who were in utero during times of famine, and then the food abundance came. But then you took kids maybe a few years later who were in utero during when food was not at a limited supply. But then all these kids were exposed to the same experiences, the same food supply as they grew up. Right. But what they found was that those kids, when they were in utero during a famine, became much more likely to have obesity or cardiovascular disease or type 2 diabetes than, their, than those kids that didn't have that. And what they expect is that when those kids were in utero in the, in the, in the womb and they were forming, the body recognized that, hey, we're not getting a lot of food here. So anything that comes in, we need to hold on to it because who knows when we're going to get food next. So then these kids are born. The body's expecting famine, but now you're into an, an abundance of food situation. And although you're eating what might be seen as a normal amount of food for your age, your body still has these genes turned on or possibly off, depending on which genes they are, that are causing the body to hold on to more nutrients, to hold on to more substance or fats and storing it away as body fat. And then those kids then have a higher risk for developing obesity. And that's, you know, being in pediatrics, you see that in some families where it's, you know, 
we have one sibling who's completely, you know, a healthy size or their BMI is normal or whatever terminology you want to use there. But then you have another sibling who's significantly overweight, but they are exposed to the same parents. They're exposed to the same food situations at home, but some, and they're both active or not active. Um, they have very similar life situations, but they're very different in terms of their, uh, their body habitus. And you say, okay, well, what's the difference here? What's going on? And a lot of times you wonder, was there something that happened while that child was in utero that could be negatively affecting them in terms of their body's ability to manage nutrition now in terms of normal life? And so so that study back during the World War II was really interesting because then they also what they also did is they looked at kids in the USSR at the same time, and they saw how those kids were exposed to famine during the war, but they still had famine after the war. So then the question was, okay, does famine on top of famine affect anything? And they didn't see any changes there. The kids born during the time of famine with war were similar to the kids born during times of famine after war. They were skinnier, they had less risk for obesity and those kind of things too. And so they weren't taking in more nutrients and their body wasn't storing more nutrients. So you can see how there's a difference there. Now, there was another population study. It's called the Overcalix study done by Kadi et al. in 2002. And what they did is they followed a series of Swedish citizens born in 1890, 1905, and 1920. And then they followed those um, people's offspring until about 1995. And the purpose of the study was to assess if the abundance of food during a father's slow growth period, so that's when the father's younger during that slow growth period, how does it affect his child's risk? for of obesity as well as his grandchild's risk. So that's always hard to think about because you think about, okay, how's this affecting my kid? You don't think about how it affects your kid's kid. Um, but the results were really impressive. Those exposed to a limited amount of food during their slow growth period had offspring with a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease. Those exposed to an abundance of food during the slow growth period had grandchildren with an increased risk for diabetes. So what that maybe looks like is that during if you're limiting your food during that slow growth period, so you're not over fueling your body, your body doesn't turn on any genes or anything like that that would lead to say, hey, I got all this food source, I'm going to hold on to it for later. And so now you got these genes turning on to increase your food supply storage. And then that then affects your offspring, right? Those that were exposed to larger amounts of food during the slow growth period, they didn't really see a big change, it looks like in the offspring, but in the offspring's offspring, those grandchildren had an increased risk, which is really interesting to think about and also kind of scary because you don't think about what's, what's going to happen to my grandkids because of me. It's just you're thinking about your kids and hopefully yourself a little bit. Now, if we move back to the mouse models, there's been there were several studies performed, and I'm going to name them. These were all mentioned in that 170-page document like I talked about, but it's Corona et al. in 2010, Fulston et al. in 2013, and Lambert et al. in 2013 as well. And they also they further demonstrated the importance of paternal nutrition on the health of future generations. These studies basically demonstrated that male mice who were fed a high-fat, low-protein diet, they led this led to offspring with a higher fatty liver composition. So the dads had higher fat in their diet. Their kids then had higher fatty liver composition, which you would say, oh, that would make sense if mom did it, because if she's getting a lot of, you know, fat in her diet in utero, then the kid's liver gets used to getting fat, and so it stores it. But that's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about the dad's exposure to high fat diets led to kids holding on to more fat in their liver, which is I don't know. To me, it's just still such an 
interesting topic and also extremely scary because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, what do they have for breakfast today? And how is that affect, eventually affecting somebody in the future? They also showed that paternal mice fed diets to induce obesity had offspring who also had offspring, so grandchildren, with increased fat at birth. And so you keep seeing this theme with fat, and I'm not sitting here telling you guys to go have a low-fat diet, and I'm not talking about any diets that include fat, so please don't do that, because you got to look at these studies, and they looked at mice, and they were giving them lots of fat, but they weren't giving them, like, it wasn't like a ketogenic diet, guys, so don't start blaming ketogenic people for affecting their kids later on. Um, This is just strictly saying, hey, if you have a high-fat diet, um, but not changing anything else... So not lowering your carbs or making sure that your body's automatically breaking those fats down right away, but just increasing that fat during the diet's affected offspring, but also affected offspring of offspring. Um, And again, that's just, it's such an interesting topic because we don't think about the dad's role in these situations. We only think about the mom's role, right? During pregnancy and, you know, do they have um, gestational diabetes and all these and high blood pressures and all that kind of situation too. The dad's role is just as important. And if not, maybe even more important in some cases here, especially before you guys conceive. Now, one interesting thing to note, too, about these studies is when we're talking about grandchildren, what they found was that when you went down the very the lines, so the, the different offspring, if you go from dad, who had the high-fat diets, and then when you look at the offspring, it, was, it tended to be more the female offspring that had a higher fat content, and this genetic pattern tended to follow. And then when it came to the grandchildren, it was actually more of the male grandchildren that showed this increase of adiposity, so the increased fat content on their bodies at birth compared to their female counterparts, which is really strange. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think about how it, how that pathway works, and I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Um, now, they were actually able to isolate the microRNA change within the sperm that led to this, and they were able to track it through the offspring. And again, I don't have all the data on that right in front of me, so I can't sit here and tell you scientifically how that worked, but it's just an interesting thing to think about. And I'm sitting here also thinking that it works in reverse, where if you're if the grandparent is super healthy and then the mom becomes healthy, then this the offspring of the son becomes healthy because I my mom's dad is currently 104 years old and doing awesome. He's doing all kinds of things with life. He still plays pool. He's perfectly, you know, he's capable of mind, body, and soul. He works out, exercises every day. So I'm like, if that, you know, works in reverse, hopefully that has a good indication for me in terms of my lifelong ability to remain healthy. But I probably got to work on my own health just a little bit to keep that going. Now, one last thing about this is you may be thinking to yourself, well, I I really struggle with my eating habits. And what about exercise? How does exercise help me in this? And there's actually been some studies. I don't have the, the references here in front of me right away, but there have been some studies that show that exercise just do adding exercise, so not changing your eating habits um, prior to having children, but just the exercise alone can actually reduce the risk for your children having um, problems with obesity and those other um, health issues after birth. And so even if you don't completely change your eating habits, but you improve your exercise habits, that can have a great influence too. So in the end, what does this tell us here? This tells us that as dads, it not only is it important for us to give our kids after they're born a good representation of what it means to be healthy in terms of eating healthy, um, drinking your water, getting your sleep, exercising, all of those kind of situations. But it's just as important to do these things before you even have kids because that greatly could influence how their body is able to handle these situations in the future. And I can't tell you how many times I see kids in the office who struggle 
with their weight and it affects, you know, their mental health and those kind of things. And they're really trying, like they're trying to eat healthy. They're trying to exercise. They're doing all these activities and it just, nothing seems to really helping. And maybe that's because something happened from an epigenetic standpoint that led them down that pathway. And that's no fault to them and really no fault to their parents. Cause Lord knows I didn't know any of this stuff before. So moral of the story is guys, we talk about being a better parent. We talk about our bodies. This is such an interesting topic when you look at epigenetics and maybe you're done having kids. Maybe you're not done having kids. Maybe you're just getting ready to have kids. I don't know, but we still, this is still an important topic to know about and think about and focus on. And maybe for you as a parent, you recognize like, oh, hey, I didn't do a good job with my diet prior to us having our kids. Maybe that means my kid's going to struggle with obesity or health related issues. And so if I don't get on this now in terms of helping them understand healthy eating and exercise and getting them active, we're going to struggle even more down the road. So important topic. Think about it. Again, I'm not here judging anybody out there because Lord knows I am not perfect in my diet nor my exercise routines. My only exercise routine right now is tackling and fighting off my four-year-old. So um, there's a lot of work that we can do with this. It doesn't have to be perfect, guys. Remember, we're embracing the imperfections here. You're not going to be perfect with this, but just because you're not perfect doesn't mean you can't strive to do better a little bit every single day. All right? So again, remember, subscribe, leave a review, and I'll see you guys next week. My dad, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, is a pediatrician, father, and husband. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to be medical advice and is for your education and entertainment only.